to another episode of Policy Today, a podcast from the Washington Research Council. This is Mary Strau. I'm joined today by my colleagues Emily Makings and Chris Showbloom. We are recording this on February 28th, 2017. And today we're going to be talking about our favorite topic, um, education funding, K-12 through education funding. Um, Emily has put together two policy briefs um, on different education plans, and then she's also done a fairly comprehensive uh, blog post on a third plan. Um, The first policy brief is on uh, the proposals for K-12 education put forward by Governor Inslee and the State House. Um, The other policy brief is on the proposal put forward by the State Senate. Um, And just for purposes of our audience, the State House is controlled by the Democrats, the State Senate by the Republicans. And then we'll also be discussing a third um, proposal that has been sort of billed as a more moderate approach um, that incorporates different elements. Um, And of course, this is all based on um, the uh, state Supreme Court's McCleary ruling from 2012, uh, which said that the state was not Uh, fulfilling its constitutional paramount duty to provide public education and found that the state needs to fully fund basic education um, and that uh, we should not be relying on local school districts to provide funding for all uh, basic education uh, services, that local schools can provide extra um, additional funding for other school activities and items, but not for basic education. So that's the basis of all of this. Um, So Emily, uh, take it away. Okay, so um, mostly what these new proposals would do um, to finish complying with McQuarrie is to increase salaries for teachers. Um, And they all do that. They all um, would increase um, the minimum teacher salaries to about 45,000, except the governor who would increase them to $54,000. The governor and the House bill make, um, and the the, uh, Senate bill 5825, which is the the, quote moderate version, Mm -hmm. um, would just simplify the current salary allocation model for school staff. But the Senate pass bill would actually repeal the model itself entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, the Senate would also um, do things like ban um, or prohibit the prohibit um, paying teachers based on advanced degrees that aren't in their subject area. Right. Um, it limits compensation expenditures to eighty percent of total expenditures. Um, it provides uh, recruitment and retention bonuses and housing allowances and that sort of thing. Right. And just a a note, the reason for not basing um, salary enhancements on advanced degrees not in their areas is because research has shown simply getting an advanced degree um, in something that's not related to the subject that you're teaching really has minimal or no effect on teacher quality. Right. Right. so then in the House 
the House Pass bill, they would make um, some regional adjustments for salaries. So if you live in a higher cost area, you might get paid more. Um, and salaries would be rebased every six years based on a comparable wage analysis in order to try to keep up with changing times. Mm-hmm. Um, so as part of this too, the the governor and the house pass bill would keep the current prototypical school funding model. So schools would continue to get funds based on um, their staff mix, basically. So um, it's not a they take an average school and decide how many resources they would need and then um, scale that up based on enrollment. Right. That's the way um, it's currently done, and that was based on a law passed a few years ago. Um, right. Was So basing it on the, the school model. Yeah. And then the Senate Pass Bill does something radically different. It um, would change to a per-pupil funding model. So every district would get at least $12,500 per pupil. Um, and then the, the Senate Bill 5825 would kind of do a hybrid of these two things. I'm not exactly sure how this would work, but it keeps the prototypical school model in place, but then establishes a uniform per pupil amount for the districts, and that would be at least 11500 Okay, interesting. And that's a, a just for our listeners. A, that that's a topic today. We're we're basic. We're just talking about sort of the, you know, these funding plans and the basics of those. Um, this is a concept we'll probably explore further as the session goes on because it's a it is a seems like a philosophical or at least a policy difference of do you fund by the school or and the staff or do you fund per, by the pupil? Right. And, and we'll it, have people from both sides kind of. Exp- you know, explaining why they support one over the other. So, um, also um, regarding some two of the big initiatives that we always follow are 1351, which reduces class sizes for grades K through 12, and 732, which uh, provides a cost of living adjustment for school staff. Mm-hmm. Um, Governor Inslee, the House, and the SB 5825 would all fund both initiatives. The Senate pass bill repeals both of them, so that's a big difference. Right, and in I, in um, sort of as a counter to that, or I guess, and to make up for that, the Senate bill includes it does include uh, sort of salaries based on the, the cost of living of whatever area you're teaching in. Is that correct? Um, it it provides housing allowance depending on if you're okay. in an area with really high housing, and okay. it does adjust. It does adjust its spending for inflation. It's just not the Initiative 732 COLA. Oh, I see. It's a different measure. Okay. Okay. And then the house. Then the and the house bill also does include, in addition to sticking with 732, they also uh, would take into account for teachers who live in higher cost of living areas. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, so altogether, um, this is really expensive, as we've all expected. Um, yep. There's uh, Governor Inslee's proposal would cost about eight point five billion over four years. Mm-hmm. That's the billion pass- with a B. With a B. Mm-hmm. The House pass bill would cost about um, seven point six billion over four years. Okay. And the Senate pass bill would cost about um, uh, six point nine billion over four years. Okay. And there's no fiscal. There's no fiscal note for the Senate bill, um, and that's 
So this is staff ways and means estimates. Okay. There's also no fiscal note for the more recently introduced Senate bill. Um, okay. So we don't have any information on that, how much that's going to cost. All right. Um, but so the Senate bill and the House, the Senate pass bill and the House pass bill seem like they're in the same ballpark, uh, mm -hmm. 6.9 and $7.6 billion. But um, we should note that the House bill fiscal impact is really, it will be more than that because um, it's all of the proposals are, the 1351 isn't fully funded in the four-year window. Um, and it's, um, it ramps up its spending a little bit later in the, in the budget period. Okay. So there, there would be more to come. Right. Mm -hmm. How are we going to pay for this? The, the governor proposed, um, increasing the B&O tax rate on services. And that's the business and occupation tax, which is a tax on gross receipts, not profits, but just how much money you take in even before expenses. Mm-hmm. And he also proposed imposing a carbon tax, a capital gains tax, and ending several tax exemptions. Right. And Washington, uh, that would be a new capital gains tax because Washington currently does not have a capital gains tax. So that right. would be a brand new tax. And a new brand new carbon tax. Brand new carbon tax, too. Mm -hmm. um, the House did not specify any funding source. Mm -hmm. The Senate passed bill includes a levy swap, and it would also have to make use of... Um, savings from the budget, which they haven't um, spilled out at this point. Right. That's, that's always a point of contention. And, yeah. you know, you can, <clears throat> I'm not, I'm obviously not against finding savings in the budget, but even if you find savings in the budget, you know, one man's savings is another man's um, terrible, drastic cut. So. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then just briefly, we, again, we've talked about levy swap before, but for those of um, our listeners who aren't familiar, um, that would be sort of um, increasing. Well, why don't you explain the levy swap so I don't mess it up? So it would be um, increasing the state, and Chris, jump in here if I miss anything, but it would be increasing the, the state property tax and reducing the amount of property tax paid by at the local level for local maintenance and operations levies. Right. And the reason for doing that is, again, because the Supreme Court has set in, in its interpretation of the Constitution that all funding for basic education has to come from the state. It cannot be from uh, local districts. So the state has to find, now has to take on responsibility for all funding of basic education. So that, that is the uh, reasoning for the proponents of a levy swap. Right. The court has said that um, any that the funding for basic education has to be dependable and regular mm -hmm. and that local mm -hmm. levy, local excess maintenance and operation levies are not uh, dependable and regular because they're voter approved. Right. Okay. Yeah. Voter approval. And the state, the state is one is not voter approved. Right. Yeah. Um, and the controversy there is that um, even though it would be, are they still saying it would be roughly revenue neutral in terms of the overall statewide tax collected? Uh, I mean, it depends on how you do it, but no, in the, the Senate passed version would definitely bring in more, more money. Okay. Uh, more net uh, revenues than current. current okay. 
Uh, and there's uh, been a lot of pushback because some districts, um, this isn't a hard and fast rule, but certainly a lot of the more rural ones, the more the poor districts, would be receiving um, money back from the state more than they than they gave in through this pro- the state property tax, and other districts, for example, Seattle, most notable, would actually be receiving a lot less um, than they gave in. Um, so you've heard some howling, uh, yeah, which is totally understandable, uh, from Seattle area legislators. Yes, the the um, the amount that local or that uh, taxpayers pay could go up or down depending on um, where they live. Mm-hmm. So some districts, some taxpayers in some school districts will see higher taxes and some will see lower taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the impact would be spread across the state. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not all negative in one, one part of the state. It's all spread right. out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, the, uh, when the Senate, the big Senate bill, um, was being discussed. I think they provided, and I'll I'll try to go find the, all the, the documents. But they actually had um, a giant spreadsheet of all the school districts in the state yep. and what the breakdown would be. Yeah. Okay. So those are, um, and of course, we don't know as much about this this third proposal. Um, there was a hearing on it recently. Um, that's being billed as the more moderate or the third way approach. So we we can't discuss that one quite as much. Although there are some some uh, factors in it, um, some tax considerations. Um, but so yeah, we have two fairly different approaches in the terms of how we structure the funding. Right. So we have on the one hand, we stay with the way it is now, where we fund it by the. Pro- what is called the prototypical school. So basically just how the school looks and how much staff there is. Or we take a whole new approach, which is used in some states. I think I think Massachusetts, I could be wrong, um, which is seen as kind of having one of the best uh, school systems in the country where you take a per-pupil approach. Um, and as I said, we will be just, you know, sort of fleshing out this issue further um so so that's a, a big difference um but as emily as you noted the the actual cost i mean obviously when you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars that's not peanuts but it's fairly close um and then the whole issue then of how do you fund it so those are that's the, there are some big differences there which isn't a surprise mm-hmm. um well so, and an important an important thing too to note is um that the levies, I mean, the, uh, the one issue with the levies is that, well, all of, all of the, I'll start over, all of the proposals would allow school districts to continue to levy, um, enrich, like enrichment levies or excess levies. Right. Um, right. But the, they would be more severely, more limited by the Senate passed bill than the House passed bill. Um, School districts, school districts would still be able to levy up to 24% of their revenues from local sources um, in 2021, whereas the Senate would would limit that to 10%. Mm. Oh, yes, that's and, right. And the the Senate pass bill includes what seem to be pretty strong um, safeguards against those 
local excess levy funds from being used for basic education in the future. The House passed bill just um, creates a working group to make recommendations on how to change accounting practices. So that's, I think, a key point um, going yeah, forward to have safeguards in place so that we're not in this situation again. Exactly, really, because uh, you know one of the issues and one of the reasons they hired that uh, the consultant over the interim was that right now they don't, and because they, I mean they haven't needed to, they don't have accounting procedures in place to really separate out the different sources of funds. So yeah, it seems to me like that would that would be a wise thing to do, as you said, to prevent future lawsuits. To really have a clear dividing line between state funds local funds and whatever else federal grants and also and also between basic and non-basic expenditures yes yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. um all right well chris what are your uh you know we've got a lot of different um tax ideas here and ideas for getting revenue um and could you sort of flesh flesh those out and give us your thoughts on on the various proposals? Well, um, I, th- I think from the House, we really don't have much in the way of, uh, of, uh, of revenue proposals. Right. Um, we do we did have, see we, we do have what the both House and Senate Democrats on the Education Funding Task Force, they issued a separate, the two parties <laughs> couldn't agree on one yeah. plan. So they did issue some suggestions that rather closely yes. mirrored what the governor's, you know, capital gains, possible yes. capital, blah, all of that stuff. Yes, but, but you know, the, the governor's um, 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 capital gains and carbon tax uh, um, um, are taxes that have been before the legislature before and have not gone anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they, they, the, the governor's proposals very much had the feeling to me of, of just a set of the usual subjects put up, uh, suspects put up there because he needed to have something to um, um, to uh, to balance uh, the spending increases he talked about. Right. Um, the uh, the the more the, the interesting new thing is is in the uh, the new Senate bill um, and the way that um, um, that bill not the not the the one that passed, but the one, uh, right. rather the one that was just heard, uh, and the the way there that bill attempts to use property local property taxes to fill them in. Um, they basically require each district to uh, to uh, have a, to levy a local uh, tax in a specific amount, uh, which varies across districts. Uh, and the question is whether that would uh, be challenged um, as effectively uh, a state property tax, which was not uniform across all um, uh, properties in the state. Oh, interesting. Um, I'm sure that the, you know, the, the proponents think, think that they've been, been, been clever enough that they could uh, uh, withstand um, um, the challenge. Uh, but it certainly would be challenged, and, and, and uh, it's an open question, as far as I can see, as to whether or not it would um, um, actually pass muster. So it's a, it's a requ- it would be a requirement from the state that a local school district Each, have a certain amount of re- taxation of 
Okay. Yes. Oh, interesting. Uh, apply a certain amount of, uh, of uh, property tax at a certain rate. Has uh, that ever been of, done before for any other issue, for education or any other issue? Not the, the, the mandatory. I'm not, I'm not sure if there's any example where they've done a mandatory, that the, the state has mandated a... Uh, um, uh, a local property tax mm. at a ver- at a rate that varies across districts. Okay. Um, certainly hasn't been done in recent years. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's another interesting uh, twist to the yes. debate. Yes. Well, it, it, it's lurking there with, with the debate, and then you know, if the uh, if the this proposal this bill doesn't become law, of course it. It never is challenged, and we don't know what the answer is. Right, uh, right. Okay. All right, good. Well, um, I think that about covers it. Um, I'm going to provide, does it, do, do either of you have any additional notes? No. No? no. Okay. Um, so I will, of course, I'll provide um, links to Emily's two policy briefs and then Emily's blog post on this, and then um, I'll try I'll as much information as I can gather from uh, the two bills um, uh, that were heard in committee. They've since pa- has the has the House bill the House bill has passed the House yes. and the yes. Senate bill has passed the Senate. So the the committees provide some um, kind of interesting and helpful uh, the committee staff. Um, background information. So I'll provide links to all all of that as well. And as always, we will uh, keep you updated on this issue. I mean, again, these are just sort of opening, um, not gambits, but they're opening ideas. And uh, the real work is in the negotiation between all the lawmakers and the governor's office and other stakeholders as well. And uh, we'll keep you updated on that. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Chris. And thank you to our audience. Just a reminder that you can, in addition to listening on our podcasts on our website, researchcouncil.org, we are also available on iTunes, uh, TuneIn, and Stitcher. So thanks, and we'll talk to you soon. 